I am Daniel Lucas, and welcome to Book 101 Review. Book 101 is all about the books that I read for the last 40 years, and today I have my special guest. He is the author of his Scribes series, no other than Mr. Dylan West. Hey there, Daniel. How you doing? I'm fabulous like you, Mr. Dylan, and welcome to Book 101. Oh, well, thanks for having me. Can you please introduce yourself more? Sure. I am a programmer by day and a, an author and a game developer by night. I used to be in the Navy as a nuclear operator, so a lot of the engineering that I learned there went directly into my books. What is the difference of being a writer of a novel or writer of a program? Oh, <laughs> well, when you're writing programs, uh, you've got a compiler that you can run and see if you have errors in your syntax. You don't exactly have something like that with writing a book, except for maybe like spell check and grammar. I guess that's kind of the, the equivalent. And I guess it's similar in that with software and books, you don't really know if it works until you put it in front of users. Um, but the experience is pretty different between the two with software and with books because your user, let me think of how to say this. There's hardware issues involved with software that complicate things. You don't necessarily have that with books unless you're dealing with like tablets, I guess. Definitely. So what are the languages that you're specializing programming? Um, these days, it's mostly C-sharp. I use that for my day job for building web apps for Navy shipyards, but I also use it in the Unity game engine for building my games. Wow, that'd be awesome. So which is more your passion, writing a novel or writing a program? I don't know. They're both pretty fun. They, they can both get you into the flow state pretty deeply. Um, I think sometimes I like to take a break from one and shift my focus over to the other for a while. And then when I get burnt out on that, switch back to the other. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. So tell us more about uh, your experience in the Navy. Okay, so um, that was, gosh, that was a long time ago, 1999 to 2007. I was on the Carl Vinson as a nuke electrician. So I would run the electric plant for the entire carrier, which meant nobody was allowed to run an AC unit or a big Lubol pump or any, any really big electrical loads without calling down to DC Central and getting my permission. And I had to direct all the electricians to operate the electric plant. Wow, sounds interesting. Something like, oh, I control everything. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that, eh? <laughs> for the for the electrical distribution, yeah. When you realize that you are good in writing? Well, I wrote my first novel at age 13. Now, it wasn't good, but it was a full 400-page novel. And it was because I had read a book called Salamandastron by Brian Jacques. I fell in love with books the day that I read that, that one book. It, that one book turned me into both a reader and a writer almost overnight. So uh, you are prolific re a reader and, prolific, oh, yes. and uh, soon to be a prolific uh, writer? Well, I've written nine novels and a number of short stories in my life. So by some measures, maybe I am kind of prolific as a writer, but I've only published one novel and one novella. Who influence you in writing your novels? Hmm. It's really hard to say. There's a lot of books and a lot of authors that really went into, that really go into my books. I can only list maybe a few things like the Bible and just my faith in Jesus really inspired me. The other would be Brandon Sanderson. I like the world building that he does in the Stormlight Archive, especially in The Way of Kings. I don't know if you're familiar with his stuff. Yes, definitely. So what's okay. your favorite verse in the Bible? 
Um, it kind of changes over time, but right now it's Proverbs 14.10. And let's see if I can recite it without messing it up. Um, heart knows its own bitterness and a stranger share and no stranger shares its joy. That's a really weird Bible verse to have as your favorite, I know, but I have a good reason for it. Um, this verse really stands out to me because it basically says that humans, as close as we do get to each other, like family members and spouses and that kind of thing, we still don't really experience each other's feelings. The first part, the heart knows is that nobody really knows how badly you hurt when you're, when you're really hurt. And nobody can climb to the heights of ecstasy with you when you're in this really amazing moment. The only person who can enter into that with you is God himself. And I think that's the part of this verse that really makes me, um, really hits me. So, Mr. Dillon, let's go to your debut novel. Scribe's Descent. Yep. What is all about? Well... Normally, when somebody asks me this at a sales event, I will hand the book to them and have them read the back cover because I think that putting the physical book in their hands makes the book more real to them. And then when they read the back cover, they're getting a sample of my writing style already. And um, so normally I would answer the question that way, but I can't exactly do that with you because, you know, we're on a podcast. Should yes. I read the blurb? Can yes, you? definitely. Yeah. Okay. All right. So the tagline at the top is a planet without quakes gets rattled by a big one. The cause lines lies at the bottom of a deep mine. And then the body of the blurb is people on planet Daishan with inventions that prolong life and eradicate disease. It's little wonder. Death seems ob obsolete until an earthquake kills thousands, including Mallory's parents. They should have lived for a thousand years, not just 50. Mallory scrambles for answers. Such a disaster shouldn't be possible. Quakes have never happened on this world before. Suspecting the top research center had triggered it, her best friend's father investigates. When he turns up missing, Mallory goes on site after him as a geology intern. She can't bear to lose anyone else. An old mine sits at the epicenter of the recent quake, and an unbreakable alien barrier seals it off. But a door hidden in its surface opens for Mallory when she translates its engravings. Once inside, she evades underground predators while cut off from the tech that's always protected her. Some graves run much deeper than six feet, and this place could be one of them. Within this self-contained world lie the remnants of a universal war, revealing that Daishoni folklore is more than superstition. To survive, Mallory must trust in something more than science and logic. She must follow the voice of one she can't see down to the very bottom. Something deadlier than a quake is trapped there, and it is trying to escape. Wow, sounds interesting, Mr. <laughs> Dylan. <laughs> well, thanks. So how did you craft the scribe's descent? How did I come up with the idea? Yes. Well, it started as a video game. I went through a four-year program at ECPI, College of Technology, uh, game and simulation programming. When I was done with that, I started my own little indie game studio. During the startup, I pitched two or three game ideas to my wife. This was one of them. And back then, we called it Monster Pit. <laughs> <laughs> And when we got into development and I was writing the design document, part of that document was the storyline. And when I got far enough into the story, I felt like I should turn that into a novel. And so this book came from a game design document. It had like player prompts and stuff in, in square brackets. And I had to go and take all of that player direction and transform it into, you know, immediate scene. <laughs> right. <laughs> so let's talk about science and religion. How would you connect science and religion to a novel? Okay. Well, I guess I can just talk about how I did it in this one. So I wanted a character 
and her name is Mallory. I, I wanted this character to have to go through some very scary experiences and to try to use her scientific mind to cope with everything. And I wanted her to get to a point where she realized that certain things she just couldn't solve with science. Some things only faith can help you with. Certain things science just can't answer. Some questions just aren't scientifically, uh, aren't, aren't scientific in nature. So um, that probably forms the, the core of the theme. Mallory can't science her way out of everything. Yes, definitely. Not uh, all science can explain how powerful God is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it all, it all points to him. Uh, some people think that there's this inherent contradiction, but not really. That, I guess that's kind of a new idea. If you look at the grand scheme of history, for most of human history, nobody saw a, a clash there. In fact, most people saw perfect harmony. How you interpret a day, right? There, there's different theologians that will say that it's a it's a literal 24-hour day, and others will say, no, this is more like an epic, so many millions or billions of years. To be honest with you, I, I really don't know that I'm dogmatic either way. I know some Christians, I've already kind of offended some Christians right there because they're like, what? You don't... <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean you're not dogmatic about one position or another? And I, I think there's room to interpret the Bible either way. Yes, definitely. It, it uh, depends how you interpret it. Yeah. Yes. So uh, your debut novel, let's talk about the main character. What can you say about it? Okay. Well, her name is Mallory Lane, and she has two big interests. One is foreign language. And uh, that is actually why the series is called the Scribe series. Because scribe is the, the term for linguist down in this underground realm that Mallory enters. I don't want to get too much into that because then I get into spoiler territory. But so Mallory's interest in foreign language. In fact, she helps her dad with her dad's language company, her, his uh, translation company called Use Our Words. So that's one interest of hers. Another is robotics. She is homeschooled. Uh, and part of the homeschooling is she learns to build robotics hardware from her father in his workshop at home. And she lives in a society where everybody is big into science. In fact, she's, a, she's actually not as hardcore as some of the others are. And that said, she works for 12 to 15 hours a day in the workshop, learning to build nanobots, basically nanotechnology, from a young age, since the age of five. So in her goal is she wants to build what she calls magma bots, which are these tiny machines that she would like to put into a volcano back on her homeworld of Imna. It, it's a planet that was just getting ravaged by earthquakes. She wants to get robot, robots down into the, the mantle or the asthenosphere of that planet where they can more accurately map the convection currents under the surface of that planet to kind of find out what's going on tectonically, volcanically, in hopes that with that information, she can figure out how to help repair the, uh, the planet, which I know sounds really bizarre, like how, how do you fix a quaking world? She's got some ideas about that, but the first step is to get imaging. And you can't rely on radar or ground penetrating radar or anything like that um, to get really high definition details. You have to get something down into the planet to get that. Sounds interesting. So how many <laughs> days or month you wrote this book? I've been working on the series for uh, 12 years as of next month. And uh, to put that into hours, 
I've spent about 9,000 hours on the whole series. 5,000 of those man hours went into writing book one and getting it polished. The other 4,000 went into things like promotion, marketing, and drafting the other four books. Because I have written all five books in the series before I published book one. I didn't want to write myself into a corner. Yes, definitely. And right, yep, and right now, book two, I'm a couple months away from getting it ready to, to publish. So I'm hoping at the end of May, Scribes of Flame will, will go out too. So can you come back and talk about Scribes Flame? A flame, yes, later yes. on after after I've released it. I'd, I'd love to. Yeah. Yes, definitely. So Scribes and what is the best highlight? The best highlight? Hmm. From that, I, I take it your question is, what's the most interesting facet of it? That's hard to answer because different readers are going to find something different that they that stood out for them, talking to my readers. So it's, it's really hard to, to pick one thing, especially without giving spoilers away. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's the world building. I, I think I've heard that a lot in reviews, that people really like how detailed and how realistic I got because I spend months and months and months researching geogra uh, geology, climatology, biology, all the ologies basically. Um, and, and that all that scientific research, if it didn't go into the book itself, I put those as articles on my blog and in my monthly newsletter. And so I, I share the behind the scenes research to my newsletter subscribers. So Actually, that's a good, <laughs> that's a good lead-in. <laughs> if you're listening to this and you're not subscribed to my newsletter, if you love science, I invite you to come in and subscribe. It's, it's on my website on dylanwestauthor.com. You can't miss the big button on there to, to sign up. And uh, it only goes out once a month, so you won't get spammed. You'll not only get those geeky science research tidbits, you'll also get updates on when more books come out and when Scribes Descent, the video game, finally hits the market. How would you describe science in your opinion? Oh man, you're asking all sorts of profound questions tonight. Um, describe science, it's, well, the, the origin of the word comes from the Proto-Indo-European word Gay sky. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. S K H E I, which means to to separate, to divide. And it, it kind of feeds into I think that verse in Hebrews where it says um, dividing asunder the soul and spirit. What the Word of God does, sharper than a two-edged sword. Um, the ability to separate facts from one another, to separate details. I think that's what science really is. So is that what you do in your novel? Um, it not overtly, like I try not to make it into a textbook because, you know, that would be boring. Um, but readers will pick up quite a bit of science. They're going to see thermodynamics in there. There's actually a heat transfer equation that's in one of my chapters only because it, it directly relates to the, the plot of the story. Um, and they'll learn a little bit of electrical engineering. They'll learn some mechanical engineering and they'll learn a, a bunch of geology and nanotech for sure, just from the storyline itself. Because the main characters, they love this stuff. They just geek out on it. And they use all those different science fields to solve problems. I, did, I didn't want to magic my way through things like some books do, um, I wanted them to have to, to use science as much as they could. Yes. So uh, according to Amazon, uh, your book is on uh, top 99 in the teen and young adult Christian science fiction. Why is that categorized? Oh, uh, the category? Yeah, the category. Uh, well, it is young adult. Mallory is 18 and Leah is 17. And I did target a teenage demographic. Uh, I consider it Christian-based, even though it takes place in a different universe. And the Bible and Jesus and Christianity, as we know it, do not exist in this other universe. 
but it's Christian based in much the same way that Chronicles of Narnia is like a Christian book because it, it asks the question, what would Christianity look like in an alternate universe? Whereas Narnia sets their, their stories in the distant past in more of a fantasy setting, mine is more in the future with a bit more of a balance between sci-fi and fantasy. Yes, very well said, Mr. Dylan. So before we go on, I want to shout out to the people listening in Colombia. Muchas gracias, Colombia, for supporting this podcast in Antigua. I got 81% audience share. In Bogota, Bogota, D.C., I have 13%. Departamento de Tolima, I have 13%. Departamento del Valle de Cuaca, 10%. Cuandinamarca, 12%. Departamento de Santander, 12%. And... Last but not the least, Departamento de Norte de Santander. I have 10%. Thank you for supporting this podcast because this podcast is created to empower writers all over the world, like Mr. Dylan West. Gracias. Yes, muchas gracias, Colombia. So, Mr. Dylan. Who are your favorite authors? Well, one of them would be Brandon Sanderson, another John Scalzi. Orson Scott Card, Brandon Mole. Actually, I just listed off three Mormons. <laughs> I am not Mormon, but I do love me some Mormon sci-fi authors. Um, let's see. Gosh, there's so many of them. There's like the usuals, like uh, Isaac Asimov. Um, I've got some unusual ones, though, like Brian Williams and Roderick Gordon for the Tunnel series. That series is, takes place underground, just like the Scribe series. So yeah. um, people who read scribes, if they read tunnels, they're, they're going to notice some setting similarities. Sure. Yes. So if you describe their writing, what are they or what is it? You're talking about for um, Gordon and Williams? Yes. All of your writers, your favorite writers. Oh, all you... the ones. Oh, um, most of them, I love their world building. I want to be transported to a different place. And for there to be unusual details, even little ones, that the author unpacks the unexpected ramifications of those details, such that when I look back at what's happening in the story and, and the way the setting impacts the characters in the story, I'm surprised. And I say, whoa, I never expected that having a planet with you know big seasonal storms like on Roshar with uh, Way of Kings, you know I didn't foresee all these different uh, impacts on culture <laughs> and on you know plant life growing in certain places. You know <laughs> people yes. building cities, you know against a mount on this side of a mountain instead of the other side. You know all those little uh, attention to detail that. I, I love, I see that stuff and I go, man, I, I want to do that in my books too. Definitely. So why are you fascinated in world building uh, characters as a writer? Well, I think that when a book goes all in with world building, I feel completely convinced that I'm really in that place, that the, the place I'm reading about is real. And by extension, the story and the characters are real. And it tells me that the author has saturated his mind in this story world so deeply in order to get all those details out of it. And um, if it's that real to the author, it becomes that real to me too. Yes, very well said. It's good for a series or a movie. Well, you know, I've got a a Christian movie producer called me about, what was it, six months ago? And he asked if I would be interested in him producing Scribe's Descent as a movie. And I told him no. Because <laughs> I would rather it be a TV. I, to, I, I told him I'd rather it be a TV series instead. And he goes, oh, yeah, that, <laughs> that makes sense. Because it would be quite a, a bit of content to smash it all into a two-hour segment. 
Yes. So if Netflix call you for so you say yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we we do have a plan and admittedly it's it's a little bit of a long shot, so I'm not holding my breath. But the plan is once he reads the book and if he if he likes it, which I, I think he will, then he and I will get on the phone and talk through an development agreement. And if we, basically a contract for what both of us would do um, for the production of the, the, the show. And once we sign that, we would start looking for Christian media investors. And we have a few organizations in mind for that. If they fund us, we would produce one episode for a pilot, a pilot episode for Netflix. And then if Netflix liked it and they aired it and it did well, then we would go back to our investors and say, hey, fund us for the rest of season one. And then we'd go back and show that to Netflix, right? So, um, and if not Netflix, then we would try Amazon Prime or Hulu or, you know, all the other streaming services. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's the rough plan. Um, so, I mean, the, the fact that he called me instead of the reverse really floored me, you know? <laughs> yes. How, how does it feel that the uh, director is calling you for your book? Well, it was just the one, but yeah, it felt it felt great, you know? Um, I, I do realize that we're still a far ways off from anything materializing, but um, just having a clear path, you know, a list of steps for how my book could go into TV show format is is exciting. You know, it, it's definitely, I, I wasn't expecting a phone call like that for many, many years, you know? Definitely. It's one of a kind. <laughs> <laughs> So scribe series, how did you bind them together if you have seven series? Oh, five, five books in the, in the main series. Oh, five series. I do have two other books that are standalone in, outside of the main series. I just haven't finished revising them. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, to put them together, I mean, they, they really are one big story that I kind of had to chop up into five pieces just because – as an unknown author, if I released a 600,000 word book, it, you know, it, it probably wouldn't have went over very well. <laughs> you, don't, you don't get away with that stuff until you become a pretty big name author and people trust you, you know? Yes, so. definitely. So are you a traditional or indie publishing? Definitely indie or what I would call self-published. Um, I did query agents for a little bit. But I uh, asked God when I was raking my yard one day, hey, should I keep querying? And I heard basically the audible voice of God or something very, very close to it say, no, self-publish. And so I wrote out a list of expenses, things I knew I needed money for. I called my main critique partner who had been critiquing all of my drafts of Scribe's Descent and all the other books in the series for 11 and a half years. I called him. I told him what I needed. And he stroked me a check for $2,500 that came in the mail three or four days later. Wow. He gave me $1,000 more than what I asked him for. It's a blessing indeed. Oh. Yeah. So, I mean, that was, that was pretty strong validation. You know, <laughs> like, okay, I, I, I hear what I believe is God telling me to do it. And then I get a $2,500, $2,500 check, not even a week later. Okay. All right. That's, that's, that's pretty, awesome. pretty convincing. <laughs> yes. So what do you think are the pros and cons of indie publishing? So the biggest pro is that the gatekeepers go away. You don't have to sit around waiting for someone to give you permission to publish your book. Right, because with the traditional, you have to get an agent. And once the agent signs you up, then they have to find a publisher. And then when the publisher says yes, then there's a long line of people in that publishing house that all have to review the manuscript. And if it falls apart at any step along the way, it all grinds to a halt. And you've got to start all over again with a new publishing house. In some cases, people will lose their agent after their, their first 
bid to a publishing house fails and then they're out looking for a new public uh new agent so i've heard horror stories of people waiting and waiting like that for just years and sometimes decades and now um, that's not to say that patience is a bad thing of course patience is good but here's the blessing of indie publishing you go out and you start building your business you start building a fan base you start making money you teach yourself marketing you're doing the work and then you can take another standalone book either uh, probably in a different series and you start querying that out to agents if you want concurrently at the same time as you're building your fan base for your your first book and the reason why is an agent's going to want to know and the publisher's going to want to know what kind of writing platform you have if you say I don't even know what you're talking about. You've never started a newsletter. You don't have any fans. You don't have any sales figures. <laughs> no marketing experience. You go to them like that, it's going to look eh, pretty rough for them. But if you have a few years of experience and you've sold you know, 2,000, 5,000 books and you have 10,000 subscribers on your email list you know, and you're doing a podcast and you've got thousands of you know, listeners or viewers every month or whatever. And then you go and you query and they're like, whoa, you've been busy. You, you've been doing this. <laughs> you have a following. Okay. Yes. And that tells those, those people that you're motivated and you're not going to be a pain for them to work with. I've heard a lot of agents and publishers complain about new authors not wanting to go on book signing tours, not wanting to do events, not wanting to promote themselves expecting the agent or the publisher to do all of that for them. If you, if you do self-publishing first, you're not going to be that problem because you have been doing it already for yourself. Yes, definitely. So do you think that nowadays, because we have a lot of indie publishing, uh, the quality of uh, the product they're producing is getting lesser and lesser? I think that there was a period toward the beginning of indie publishing where the quality was really bad. Um, but then somewhere a little bit later, the quality took a big upswing. Um, I've done some research into this. I can't remember all the reasons for that trend, but I will say this. Indie publishing and traditional publishing, they both have probably 80 90 percent of their books don't really do well and it's the other 10 or five percent or whatever that really takes off i think that's true for no matter how you publish it um people say oh traditional that you know that makes you legit eh, i've read a lot of traditionally published books that put me to sleep from page one you know so no <laughs> guarantee of quality by any means right Yes. Um, all it really means, I'll, I will tell you this, when it's a traditionally published book, the publisher will hire an editor to go and do developmental edits and um, proofreading, copy editing, all that stuff. So you will see fewer typos and grammar errors in, a, in your average tra traditionally published book than you will your indie author books. But if you publish indie, that doesn't doom you to have a bunch of spag spelling punctuation grammar problems um, i get lots of critiques and then i get beta reads and i use pro writing aid and i study grammar pretty intensely so between all those things it catch it we catch most of the problems and i i think that in terms of like little mechanical syntax errors and things my my books are pretty well on par with your average traditional book there are any books out there where you can tell there was no 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 critiques no editing you, you wonder <laughs> if that author used any kind of software at all <laughs> you know for spelling or, or grammar checks uh, so that i'm not saying that there aren't any books out there like that i think we all know <laughs> we've all we've all seen those yes definitely. but it's not an odd it's not a for for granted like oh it's indie it's going to be garbage no some of my very favorite books are indie. Yes. So how would you elevate the books that uh, they are producing now? What will be your advice to those aspiring indie publishers to make their product 
have this quality. Okay, well, I would say for them to do like I'm doing, especially if they can't afford to pay thousands of dollars to an editor, that is to um, critique their own work. I mean, revise their own work and then join an online community such as scribeafile.com. If they go there, there's other, there's like Critique Circle and a few other um, similar sites. Scribeafile is the one where I, I really feel like it, it's, it's helped me. You basically go up there and you create an account. You critique other authors, their, their chapters of their work. You earn up points and then spend those points to post your own work. And then you get critiques for those. And so you're constantly critiquing and being critiqued. And both of those activities are huge. Um, of course, other people are going to see stuff in your work that you don't see. Everybody kind of knows that. The thing that most people don't think about is how valuable critiquing other people's work is for you. I, in some cases, I learn more critiquing other people than I get than I learn from other people critiquing me. And the reason why is I'm I'm, I'm seeing the same annoyances and problems and weaknesses in other people's work over and over and over again. Then I I go back to my work. And then I'm floored because I see those same errors in my stuff for the first time. <laughs> it sharp yes. it opens my eyes. It, it sharpens my my editorial skills, where now I can see my own stuff uh, a lot more clearly, not not perfectly. And then my first drafts or my second drafts end up being way cleaner than they used to be, as a result yeah. of doing these critiques and these are this is free you don't have to spend money it's just time right yes so people out there want to publish your book uh, listen to mr dylan west so let's go to the reviews of scribes descent according to ed peratore did i pronounce well Believable and engaging. So what are the elements of your story that make the readers, oh, this is really believable? Well, like I said, I, I go pretty hard into the science. I try to minimize hand-waving as much as possible. Because I was an electrician in the Navy, I studied a lot of electrical and electronic theory. And I'm a programmer today. So all of those things combined means that I can make Mallory a pretty believable roboticist. You know, um, when she talks about soldering electronic components, I own a soldering iron and I've used it. Um, when she talks about breadboarding and um, circuit design, I've designed microprocessors from scratch. So the things that she's doing, a, a lot of them I've done. Um, I, I haven't built on the nano level like she does. <clears throat> granted, but um, the principles are largely the same, even there. Yes. So as a first debut novel, what did you learn from this book? Ooh, I learned just how hard revising is and getting the book ready for publication. That, that was big. <laughs> um, <laughs> the first time you do that, you know, just getting your first draft written is already a challenge for, for most people. But then you learn that that's actually the easy part. <laughs> All the endless revising and, and getting critiques and then taking people's feedback and deciding which comments you're going to act on and which ones you're going to ignore, that can be challenging too, right? And then you go and you make these fixes and you post them back up for further review and then you kind of keep repeating the process until you start seeing people say, whoa, this is so polished. I feel like I don't know what to say to help it make it any better. In fact, I would like to know where I could buy this. <laughs> <laughs> when you hear people saying, my wallet is flopping open, where do I buy this? You know you're, you're getting ready. You know, then, then it's about time for you to, to go ahead and push the book out the door. Yes. So uh, speaking of revision, if you want to go back and revise the book, which chapter of the book you want to revise? Oh, wow. That's a you're full of really good questions. Hmm. Uh, I think maybe chapter two, because 
that's a chapter that I've been told it can be a little bit slow because it does a lot of world building and it doesn't advance the story in a big way. It only advances it in a little way. Um, so maybe chapter two. Wow. That's the amazing. So according to Mr. Jeff, as they said, amazing book. <laughs> so how did you craft it as amazing as uh, other book that probably? Well, I got 550 critiques from 350 authors over a four and a half year period on Scribe oh, yes. So it, I put it through the meat grinder. I got over 2,500 individual critique comments that I cataloged in a spreadsheet over that time. And I went through and knocked out every single comment, um, spent five years doing it. Um, so if there's anything amazing about the book, it would just be how much time I spent getting feedback, taking that feedback seriously, acting on it. You know, that I think that really helped. So do you think that this novel, you call is like a diamond? Well, to the best of my current ability, you know, I, I imagine 10 years from now, I'll look back at some of this stuff and go, ooh, <laughs> and start wincing at, at certain things, right? Um, the other thing I can say is that the world building went pretty big, like even bigger than what you see in the series. And, and I'll explain. I created a different universe called the Scribeverse. So I invented five planets from scratch down to the, from the tectonic plate level up. I built the planets in layers in Photoshop documents, deciding, right, where's the tectonic plates? Where are the trade winds? And then where do I put the land masses? And in relation to all that, where would the mountain ranges go? And then based on mountain ranges and trade winds, how do I place the rain shadow deserts? And where do the large domesticable man land mammals go? And where do the major staple grains go? And then based on all that, where would the major civilizations arise? And I went really deep into world building at the ge geography level. And then I invented three religions from scratch for this universe. One of them is called protectorism, and it's a, in substance based on Christianity. And I wrote a Bible for this religion called the Book of Books. And it's 22,000 words long, which sounds like a lot, but it's actually pretty small as far as Bibles go. So I wrote that Bible because I wanted to know exactly what Mallory and all of her friends would know about Scripture. The only way I could figure out their awareness was to just write their Bible. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I did that, I took and I quoted that Bible all throughout the series. And I took it a step further. I said, Mallory is such a literary geek she would have her cult classic shows and books and things. So I invented Emulsipation, which is an epic TV series that Mallory would have grown up watching and reading. And so I started writing Emulsipation as they said in novellas. And Emulsipation quotes from the book of books. So I have three levels of literary references going on where one book quotes another book and that book quotes another book. Um, so I, I really went deep. I, I even wrote a world building guide that's 55,000 words long that I don't know if I'll ever publish it or if it's just a collector's item someday. It's, it's kind of like my Silmarillion. And I go back and update that with some pretty wild details. In some cases, I, I write um, long genealogies of kings and presidents. I write um, long articles of history for the different planets and their civilizations. I had to do that to be able to write their Bible, by the way. <laughs> and for all the new sentient species that I invented, because I'm tired of dwarves, orcs, trolls, and dragons. I know I probably just offended half your, your audience right there. But I mean, those, those creatures have been done, right? There's millions of books that cover them. I wanted something different. So I created Myophos and Dromedon and Quadrifa and Armathrite and these other species that nobody's heard of before and like made them biologically very different. Not just like it looks like a troll, but it has a different name. Oh, no, like I, I went deep to make the biology different and mentioned how these species are supposed to interact with mankind um, in the Bible, in, in the book of books.
and, um, and the different ways that man can interact with those sapient species. Wow, what a wonderful world that you created, Mr. <laughs> Dylan. <laughs> so when, when they're saying, oh, this is really realistic, it's really immersive, the world building's big. I mean, I, I dug a really deep foundation in order to make this as immersive as I could, down to the point where I would come up with things like their favorite Bible quotes from the book of books and their favorite quotes from emulsipation and putting those references as Easter eggs all throughout the books and deciding which species are extinct and which ones are endangered and where would they live? You know, all these crazy <laughs> I, I try to come up with the most obscure things, even if they don't end up in the books. Oh, because I, I want it to be real to me. Yes. So we want to see an emotion picture or in a series because this world building that you created is like, I think, Avatar. <laughs> what do you think? Or better than oh. Avatar. Now, the other thing that makes this special is I don't know of any other book where the author also made a video game for it. And oh, if there wow. is a video game, it's usually made by somebody else, usually a team that somebody else hired, right? So for me my readers get to go and explore this world and see it on an art level in the video game, playing as Mallory and exploring the bio prison. And it used to be the only place you could do this is if you came to one of my sales events in Hampton Roads, Virginia, come to my table and I have a, a monitor and a controller set up and they come and play. And they still do that. I have kids swarming my table every weekend playing my game. And some of them, they fall in love with the game and then they beg their parents to buy my book. And their parents are looking at me like, what, did you, what spell did you just cast on my 10-year-old my son? I've never been able to get him to read a book and now he's begging me to read your book? And I just point to the TV and I'm like, it's the game, man. <laughs> but now, now there's another place for you to play it. You can go to my website, dylanwestauthor.com slash demo. You plug that into a web browser. Now you got to do it on a desktop computer. It won't work on mobile. So you put it on a desktop like a laptop and then you can play my game the first 15 minutes of it um, with a mouse and keyboard. And it gives the list of controls at the bottom so you can, you know, you know how to play it. Um, and there's another set of instructions for how to play it with a game pad, with a controller. I do recommend if you have a controller that's USB that you can plug into your computer, use that because it's easier. Yes. The yes. other thing that's special about this game is the people who are big fans of my books. I put their names as collectible items into the video game. Okay, sounds interesting, Mr. Dylan. But before we go on, I'm inviting you to listen to my other podcast, Food 101 on our third season with Chef Alessandro, one of the executive chef in one of the five-star hotel in downtown Toronto. So please do listen, Food 101. So Mr. Dylan, what else you can say about Scribes Descent? There are other books outside of this main series that take place in the Scribeverse. One of them is called The Sewer Lord, and it is mentioned in exactly two sentences at the end of Scribe's Descent. That's all you get, two sentences. But those two sentences refer, refer to an entirely different novel, and that I'm still revising. So it's going to be a while before The Sewer Lord comes out. However, if you go to my website, you can read a flash fiction piece that comes from the beginning of that book. It really it forms like the first few chapters. It won a contest for a local writing um, contest for the Suffolk, uh, Suffolk Library. Um, you can read that flash fiction piece on my website to get a really good idea of what the, the Sewer Lord is like. Um, and I also wrote another flash piece that is kind of a prequel to that, and that I will probably also turn into a novel. So um, then there's a, let's see, no, that's that's most that's all that's all I've got for the scribe series related things. I have written one other novel that has nothing to do with the scribe series called World of Me. And the first chapter of that's on my website. 
definitely go check that out if you like science because it takes place in this universe but it's from the perspective of a bacterial colony that lives in the gut of a teenage boy wow the bacterial <laughs> colony is the pov character i have never seen another book that does that i don't think any other author was crazy enough to try that but uh but I took that as my own special challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk back on our next episode? Sure, sure. Yeah. Yes. If you're available next week, the same time. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm interested to talk about that standalone novel of yours. <laughs> yep, that one's a standalone. Yep. Yes. So, uh, Mr. Dylan, can you invite our listeners to buy all your books? Okay, yeah. So, um, if you're not in the Norfolk, Virginia area then you pretty much have to go to the website. If you're in my area, you can find me at uh, the Portsmouth Farmer's Market. But um, yeah, so if, if you're out and abroad, especially all of our Latinos you know, in Colombia and, and those places, if you go to amazon.com, you just plug in Scribes Descent or you plug in Emulsipation, either one of those with, with Dylan West. You probably want to put my the name Dylan West in there too because sometimes you... Like if you put just emulsification and you don't put my name, <laughs> kind of seeing like laxatives and stuff come up in yes. the Amazon search results. It's pretty wild. Yeah. <laughs> but but anyway, yes. you can find my books on Amazon, and um, and then go to my website dylanwestauthor.com, and there's a free sample of both books. You can read the first few chapters of both before you even buy it you can decide if you like the story if you like my writing style it's got a link right there to amazon where you can buy it in kindle paperback and hardcover yes let's support mr dylan west because if you support him he will give his best especially world building novels we we want to know more about his creativity i i can I may not be like the most amazing writer, but I will say this for myself. Most people who read my stuff say, I've never read anything like that before. Yes. And they said, believable. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mr. Dylan, thank you for your time. Oh, well, thank you, Daniel. This was fun. Yes. Morgan people, see you soon.